Okay. Well, um, today I'm going to, uh, we're going to talk about demons more. <laughs> Yay. And I'll, I'll remind you again, Jesus taught about Satan, taught about demons, taught about the kingdom of darkness. Paul taught about the kingdom of darkness. Peter, book of Revelation, there's all kinds of uh, explanations about the kingdom of darkness. And so um, I, I, I don't, I'm not spending the time I'm spending on this because I want to glorify darkness or scare you, or, but I, I don't want you to be ignorant of the schemes of the enemy. And, and so that's why I'm sharing, uh, I, I feel like it's, it's just so important that we have, again, a, a very foundational, scripturally, biblically based worldview on the enemy. And I've been saying over and over and over, Hollywood is not a good place for you to get your education on demons. TV is not a good place. And I'm even gonna, we're going to talk about that specifically um, today. And so, um, so I do have some more things I want to talk about when it comes to demons. Um, and, and again, uh, you know, as I've been hard on TV and, and Hollywood, and rightly so, I think we would all agree, um, the area that I, the thing I want to talk about today, and again, it's not going to be, uh, I'm not going to give you some steps on how to practically do something. Today, what I want to do is I want to change your mind. I want to change how you think about something very specific that you will all have an opinion on, whether you know it or not. And uh, I feel like the, the, the topic I really need to address today is um, very popular on TV right now. It's about ghosts. Um, as a matter of fact, interest in the, in the paranormal um, is becoming increasingly common. And, you know, there are individuals and businesses that claim to be ghost hunters, um, you know, who for a price will rid your home of ghosts, um, psychics, seances, you know, tarot cards, mediums, they're all increasingly becoming considered normal. And television is just doing a wonderful, wonderful job of discipling us uh, by increasing our awareness to the spiritual world. Sadly, most people, though, um, instead of seeking the truth, um, about the spirit world by either communing with God himself or studying the Bible. Um, unfortunately, uh, many people are allowing themselves to be led astray by the spirit world. And I just want to say that the demonic is truly behind, again, this mass deception that is existing in our world today. You know, um, stories about ghosts have been around for a very, very long time. Ever since even ancient times. You know, if, uh, all the words that we have um, to describe ghosts have been taken from so many different languages. Like the word wraith. That's the Scottish term for ghost. Remember the Lord of the Rings? 
<laughs> you do. Good. The ring wraiths. That's where that word came from. Wraith is a Scottish term. Phantom comes from French. Um, specter is Latin. Old English called them shades. Uh, Gaelic term is banshee. And what do you think the German word is? It's a pop popular TV or a popular movie back when I was a kid. Poltergeist. Poltergeist is the German term for ghosts. Um, and if we even go back to ancient Iraq, um, the story of the Epic of Gilgamesh portrays uh, Gilgamesh talking to the spirit of his dead friend. And I can't pronounce his name, so I'm not going to tell you that guy's name. <laughs> Enkidu, I think is how you say that. Um, in ancient Egypt, um, there's a, uh, a cryptic tale uh, about the ghost of Nebusukamekam, Haka, Halawaka Hakam. I got a little Hawaiian there for a minute. But I promise you, it's all Egyptian, okay? But there's this, this ancient story, you know, of, of the ghost of, you know, Nebi chatting with the high priest of Amun-Ra. You know, Homer in his uh, story the, in the Odyssey and the Iliad includes ghosts. Shakespeare casts entire roles in his plays for ghosts. Hamlet, Macbeth, both. So, you know, whether all of these authors believed in ghosts, it's unknown to us. Um, but what they understood <laughs> was that a truly chilling ghost story can grip an audience and usually make a lot of money. <laughs> they knew that. I mean, really, and, and in fact, you know, if you want a, a biblical account, which we're going to get into, but even the 12 disciples uh, fearfully mistook Jesus walking on the water for a ghost, right? You remember Mark chapter 6, verse 47? It says, when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was, speaking of Jesus, he was alone on the land, and he saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. About the fourth watch of the night, he went out to them walking on the lake. And he was about to walk past them, pass them by. But when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. And they cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. And immediately he spoke to them and said, take courage. This is I. Don't be afraid. So ghost stories have been around for ages. Very long time. And, you know, some ghost stories, like the one we'll be watching in a month or so, A Christmas Carol. You know, Charles Dickens, A Christmas Carol. It's a very famous ghost story. And they've become fixtures in our modern culture. But it's been in recent decades that the genre has really exploded. 
with an abundance of movies. You know, who remembers Field of Dreams with Kevin Costner? Calling out some oldies there, you know. How about The Sixth Sense? Remember that one? I mean, the whole movie's about a dead kid <laughs> or a kid who thinks he's alive, whatever. <laughs> Don't. <laughs> but, you know, movies have been prolific TV shows, you know. Who remembers the, the series Lost, right? Ghosts, you know. How about the, the movie The Ghost Whisperer, you know? Again, and, and all of these, these movies, these TV shows, they depend on ghosts to drive the plot. And there's even a, several nonfiction shows like, like Ghost Hunters, right? They're investigating the claims of ghosts and they've got all their special equipment and this is infrared this and plasma that and, and it's going to speak to us this way. So there's all kinds of stuff out there <laughs> that is feeding us a regular diet of this stuff. And do you think for a moment that all of that entertainment, do you think that might influence us a little bit? Undoubtedly, it is. In fact, um, in 2006, uh, the Barna Group published the results of a nationwide uh, survey involving um, over 4,000 teenagers. And here's what the study found. It found that 73% of the youth surveyed had engaged in at least one type of psychic or witchcraft-related activity that was beyond just mere media exposure or a horoscope usage. 73% of these 4,000 plus teenagers had engaged in something that involved a psychic or a witchcraft related activity. One tenth had participated in a seance, meaning we all gather together to call up the dead. 9% had visited a supposed medium or spiritual guide. And in, in addition to that, um, the Barna Group vice president noted that uh, what they're, they're, they're seeing in teenagers is a cut and paste supernatural perspective. In other words, they, they cut and paste experiences and perspectives from all kinds of sources. You know, it's a little this from the movies or for this from a book I read or um, this I had an experience with or, you know, this is what I'm seeing on the internet and, and I put that in here and here's what my friends are going through and even my, my mom and my grandma and their, their experience, you know. Um, and so they just kind of take it all and they're just creating their own, this is the supernatural to me. Really, they'll pull it from anything that's comfortable to them. Another surprising statistic, which 
Well, the statistic is, is that only about 28% of church teenagers can recall hearing any teaching at church in the past year that helped them define their understanding of the supernatural. Only 28% of the youth who show up at church have heard anything to help them have a biblical worldview about the supernatural. Well, today you get to be a part of that. And not just today. We've been teaching and talking and training and leading and showing and explaining the supernatural. But I think today this is a very specific area that we take for granted. But we have to have a biblical worldview on. Amen? Amen. So the question we need to ask Is there such a thing as ghosts? Well, the answer to that question really depends on precisely what we mean by the term ghosts. If by that term ghosts you mean spiritual beings, then the answer is yes. If the term ghosts to you mean spirits of people who have died... The answer is no. And the Bible makes it abundantly clear that there are spirit beings, both good and bad. But the Bible completely negates the idea that the spirits of deceased human beings can remain on the earth and haunt the living. So we're going to hang our hat on this scripture. (laughs) Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. Simple to the point, you can't mess it up. Just as man is destined to die once, and after that, to face judgment. Just as man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment. And that is exactly what happens to a person, to their spirit, their soul after death. When we die, we go straight to judgment. And the result of that judgment depends on how you related to Jesus on this earth. Now, I want to give you a little, little phrase to help you kind of remember this, okay? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it, and I want you to repeat it after me. So say, Hebrews 9 draws the line. The dead do not haunt the earth. 27. Hell or heaven. The dead do not haunt the earth. Hebrews 9. Draws the line. The dead do not haunt the earth. 27. 
hell or heaven, the dead do not haunt the earth. So when you talk to your ghost hunter friends and you talk to your friends at school and they're like, oh, a ghost, my grandma, my great grandpa, this person, that person, you can say, you know, Hebrews 9.27 is clear that when we die, we immediately go to either heaven or hell. It's true. And if I can't remember it, then you remember Hebrews 9 draws the line. The dead do not haunt the earth. Verse 27, it's hell or heaven. The dead do not haunt the earth. I could just stop there and say, you got it. That's all you need to know. Believe it or don't. But we're going to talk about all kinds of stuff. So when it comes to that dead moment when we leave this earth and our spirit and soul go, the judgment for those who know Jesus is heaven. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. We live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in this body, whether good or bad. If you know Jesus, guess which one you get? The good. The good. That's what judgment is. For those, though... Who do not receive Jesus as Savior, the Bible is very clear. Their judgment is hell. There is no in between. There's no hanging out in the earth. There's no purgatory. There's no possibility of remaining in the earth in the form of a ghost. The Bible does teach very clearly that there indeed are spiritual beings who can connect with and appear in our physical world though. And the Bible identifies these beings as either angels or demons. Angels are spiritual beings who are faithful to God, they're faithful to serve him. They live their life and their mission out to carry his very will out in the earth. Angels are righteous, they are good, and they are holy. Demons are evil, they are deceptive, and they are destructive. In fact, if we turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, we'll read that demons love to masquerade as angels of light and as servants of righteousness. Chapter 11, verse 14, it says, No wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It's not surprising then 
If his servants masquerade as servants of righteousness, their end will be what their actions deserve. So, appearing as a ghost, impersonating a deceased human being, definitely seems to be within the power of the demonic. They can show up and look like light. They can mimic being a righteous one. They can certainly show up as great-great-grandpa Bob. Now, when you look at the Bible and you start to look at this topic of ghosts and haunting, you know, besides the one I just showed you, which was just a bunch of guys scared to death out on a lake. Um, the closest kind of biblical haunting is in Mark chapter 5, and we're not going to read it, we're not going to go there, but uh, you can write that down, Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. And basically, that's the story where the legion of demons has possessed a man, and it uses that man to haunt a graveyard. Remember, it says he... he he hangs out among the tombs, and, and, um, but there's no ghost involved. It was this real dude filled with demonic. And, um, you know, it was a case of a, of a normal guy who was being controlled by demons to terrorize an entire area. I want to remind us that demons only seek to steal and to kill and to destroy. And they will do anything in their power to deceive us, to lead us away from God. Even Christians. And I believe that that is probably the primary reason for why we are the most likely explanation of what ghosts are. They are deceivers that are designed to put in us doubt about the truth of what God says in his word happens to everyone. So whether we call it a ghost, a ghoul, a poltergeist, whenever there is genuine evil activity, guess what you're dealing with? Demons. Not angry dead people, not the little girl who was murdered in the house and no one found her. Demons. Now, I know there's the question, well, what, what about all the ghosts that, that act in a positive way? You know, that they helped me find this and, and it solved this murder mystery. What about those ghosts? You know, what about psychics who, who claim to summon the deceased and, and gain true and useful information from them? What is, what's that all about? Well, again, it's crucial to remember that the goal of demons is to deceive us. And if the result is that we trust in a psychic instead of God, then well done. A demon will be more than willing 
to give you true and accurate information if it'll pull you in. Good information. They will give you good and true information if it will pull you in to go, there's something, there's another power source out there that I need to tap that didn't come from heaven. But I want to say again, even good and true information, if it comes from a source with evil motives, is going to mislead you, it will corrupt you, and it will destroy you. In fact, as we look in the Bible about ghosts and the dead, there's a, one really good example of a demon impersonating a dead person. In 1 Samuel chapter 28, we're going to read this. Starting in verse 7, and this is, it says, Saul, who was the king of Israel at the time, Saul then said to his attendants, find me a woman who is a medium, so I may go and inquire of her. Well, there's one in Endor, they said. So Saul disguised himself, putting on other clothes, and at night he and two men went to the woman. Consult a spirit for me, he said, and bring up for me the one I name. But the woman said to him, Surely you know what Saul has done. He has cut off the mediums and the spiritists from the land. Why have you set a trap for my life to bring about my death? So Saul swore to her by the Lord, as surely as the Lord lives, you will not be punished for this. That's true, because he's the guy who made the edict, so he can fulfill that. Then the woman asked, whom shall I bring up for you? Bring up Samuel. This is a guy, Samuel was the prophet. He's dead. And now he wants to talk to Sam one more time. Bring up Samuel, he said. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out at the top of her voice and said to Saul, Why have you deceived me? You are Saul. How'd she know that? That's true information. Anyone think she got that from the Holy Spirit? King said to her, do not be afraid. What do you see? And the woman said, I see a spirit coming out of the ground. Hmm. We typically think the ground is deep in the ground is what? Hell. Good, good stuff usually comes down, right? This thing comes up. What does he look like, he's asked. An old man wearing a robe is coming up. Okay, well, that sure describes Samuel to a T. An old man wearing a robe. Well, I'm pretty sure everybody wore robes every day, all day, living or dead. And the other weird thing is, is do, do clothes suddenly develop a spirit? I mean, why are, even, why are dead people clothed all the time? Why are they in trains and cars sometimes, you know? I mean, do, does the trains, do they get spirits and now the train gets to haunt too? I, I don't know. It's just, that was free. 
So an old man wearing a robe is coming up, she said. Then Saul knew it was Samuel, and he bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. Okay. So we have a record here in the Bible of one occasion when the living appeared to contact the dead. Saul put on a disguise and visited this medium to summon the dead prophet Samuel. And what came out was a ghost that looked like Samuel. Now here's the thing. If you notice in the story, it said that this ghost appeared to the witch. Causing her to cry out in terror. Now, it is widely accepted by many Bible scholars that this demon was impersonating the prophet based on the fact that he made some false claims. Okay? Because if we read the rest of the story, this ghost speaks. In fact, the example is, is that this spirit warned that all of Saul's sons would die on the next day. He said, you're going to die, and your sons are going to die. Well, part of it came true. Saul died, and some of Saul's sons died, but not all of them. Some survived. So, the thing we have to gain from that story the spirits gave some true information. But they didn't have all the information. Just enough to pull him in and to get him to believe. So, either way, the thing that we really need to focus on is that Saul had sunk so low that he decided he needed to dabble in the occult. Which, by the way, God deeply condemns. And the next day, Saul died. So, why would demons want to deceive the living by impersonating the dead? Well, as servants of Satan, um, the enemies of God, they would have every reason to cast doubt on God's word and its warnings about future judgment things that God has said are true. And, and one of the key things I think that we really need to, to, to think about is that getting someone to believe that there are ghosts, that are dead people who are walking the earth, it, ha it, it, it has to force you to reject key Bible verses. You have to. You cannot say the dead still walk the earth. They haunt us and also believe the Bible. You have to reject Hebrews 9, 27. Another special incident where we see what looks like the living interfacing with the dead is in Matthew chapter 17. Starting in verse 1, 
It says, now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. When he, when, and when the disciples heard it, they fell to their faces and were greatly afraid. But Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and do not be afraid. And when they lifted their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Now, as they came down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, saying, Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. So, how do we process this very unique experience that Peter, James, and John all had? Well, first, I think it's very important to understand that Jesus called this experience a vision. Okay? Matthew 17, verse 9. Let's read that again. Now, as they came down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, saying, Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. Now, what's interesting to note, this word vision, it is the exact same word used over and over in the book of Acts to describe the different experiences different apostles had when they saw something with their mind's eye that actually wasn't there. Okay? This word vision is the word that is what, we, is, what is used in that passage um, when Peter saw the blanket come down from heaven with all the animals on it, remember? And God says, Peter, get up, kill, and eat. The word vision here that Jesus is using is the same word used when the Lord showed Ananias to go pray for Saul, who would become Paul. Now, was Paul there when he saw him? No. The word vision that, P that Jesus used is also the same word that we use to describe uh, Paul's dream that he had when the man from Macedonia says, come over here and help us. And was that a physical encounter? No. It was a dream. So when Peter, James, and John experienced um, what, what they experienced was not necessarily happening in the physical reality right there before them. Although it, it was incredibly vivid and, and incredibly intense, it was more like what would be the most realistic daydream any person has ever had. You know, when Paul describes his intense revelations in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I mean, he could hardly put to words what happened to him. 
He couldn't even tell if he was still in his body or he was out of his body. He took a trip to the third heavens. And was that in reality or was it in the spirit? He doesn't even know. He says, I can't even tell you what happened. I just know I experienced something. So to claim that Jesus was really talking to dead people on the physical plane of the earth is very hard to prove based on how Jesus himself just described the incident. Tell the vision to no one. Now, one thing we can be assured of is that the disciples did experience something absolutely glorious. It would shape them for the rest of their lives and their ministries. You know, I'll remember an account one time. I, uh, early in my, my walk with God, I had gone out to a church that I was attending at that time at night, and I was, I was, I'd been in a funk and upset and just, just negative, a lot of bad negative stuff. And I was just, I, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to get over it. I was just upset, hurt, angry, sad, and so I went out to the church. And I remember I went up to. Um, I went up to the altar, and I was just kneeling there, and I was like, I don't know what else to do but repent <laughs> for my bad attitude, my, my stinky thoughts, whatever. And so, so I start with the easy stuff, you know. I'm sorry for this, God. I'm sorry for that. I'm sorry I think this. I did that. I'm sorry. I was talk back to my mom, you know, just stuff, you know, the easy stuff on the surface. But when I, when I kind of opened that gate up of repentance, the Holy Spirit came and did something supernatural. And now, now something from deep in me starts to come out. And I start repenting for some real stuff. Stuff that I am now bawling about. Stuff that I'm sobbing over. Stuff that I didn't know I needed to repent of. <laughs> comes up out of me. And I am, I am crying and sobbing and bawling and the whole snot and tears and everything is on a puddle on this thank god it was wooden and i in the midst of this pouring out my heart electricity hits me in my head and it shoots through my whole body and it vibrates me to the point that it freaked me out and scared me and of course, I'm thinking, oh, oh, Jesus, is, I'm going to open my eyes and I'm going to see his toes and his sandals because he's standing right here. I know I'm going to. And I stop and I open my eyes and he's not there. I was bummed out. <laughs> but I had an experience that was so intense and it didn't require him to be physically there. But I could feel it. We all have experiences, both good and evil, even with the dead, which we think are the dead, but they're just demons. I've been choked in my sleep by demons. 
I'll get into more of that hopefully next week. But here's the moral of my story. We have to conclude. We have to be sure. We have to know that we know that we know that Hebrews 9 draws the line. The dead do not haunt the earth. 27, it's hell or heaven. The dead do not haunt the earth. We've got to get that single fact in our heart. If you want to keep watching those shows, that's up to you. But know what's going on. You're watching the demons mess with some stupid humans. Okay? So just call it what it is. If you're going to keep watching Ghost Hunters, go whatever. But I'm telling you, you just it's just demons messing with people. And... We have, to, we have to be concluded in our hearts. We have to be sure in our hearts that the Bible clearly teaches the only conclusion of ghost sightings is that they are demons. It's not a, it's not a dead person. Or maybe it's an, it could be an overactive uh, figment of your imagination. <laughs> but if something shows up, and it's not an angel. We have to say it's a demon. Amen? Okay. So Hebrews 9 draws the line. The dead do not haunt the earth. 27, it's hell or heaven. The dead do not haunt the earth. And I want you to know that if you are someone who's experienced this stuff, you can break free from it. Because the power of God can overcome anything the enemy has tried to do to you. So if you're here today and you say, I've, I've experienced what you're talking about. I've done some of what you've done. We're going to have the altar team up here. And they can just pray. And if you will be in agreement, break that stuff. Amen? Now, this is good, but if there's a legal right that you've given someone by unconfessed sin, by ungodly beliefs, like demons are not, this isn't, these are dead people, that's an ungodly belief. If you have ungodly beliefs, if you have sin that you've not given up, and it's a pattern, and it could be generational stuff, we can pray but you've got to take care of business in your own life to break off that legal right for spirits to harass you in your sleep or in waking. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for a biblical worldview that clears it all up for us, God. We thank you for the truth of Hebrews 9 draws the line. The dead do not haunt the earth. 27, it's hell or heaven. The dead do not haunt the earth. We thank you for truth, God. We thank you for changing our thinking today. We thank you, God, that you will confirm this word this week. We thank you, God, that deliverance is coming to every house who says yes to the truth, yes to the light. We thank you for deliverance that's coming to this house, Father. 
that we can be a free and clean people who are holy, 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 who are set apart for your kingdom and for your purposes, God. Purge our hearts of the evil God that tries to lie to us, to deceive us, to kill us. And we thank you, God, for all that you're doing in and through us. And we say, God, thank you for the name of Jesus. Thank you for the name of Jesus that is above every other name. It is that name we love, that name we worship, that name we claim our freedom and our deliverance. And it is in the name of Jesus we pray. And everybody says, amen. Amen. Altar team, if you'd come up, if you need prayer today, come on down and get some prayer.